Zelaya Show. Here's your host, Nick Zelaya. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Nick Zelaya Show. Episode 3, I'm your host, Nick Zelaya, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, the man living right across the wall on the other side of the room, Cameron Ezare. Cam, how you doing today? Now, I feel like this was destined to happen at one point. Obviously, we live so close to each other, and after watching and enjoying the first two episodes, I'm thrilled to be on. I can't wait, and we get to talk sports. What's better than that? Nothing. And I, I decided to start this show when you were living out there in San Diego. And speaking of San Diego, they had some pretty good news for Padres fans. Fernando Tatis, the 22-year-old shortstop, signed a 14-year, $340 million contract. I, I can't even put that money in my thought. I, I, I don't know how to think about that. Cam, what, it, it's been tw- almost 24 hours now since he signed that deal. You've had some time to sink it in. What are your thoughts? Now, Nick, he's under contract till he's 36 year old, years old. I don't know what I'm eating for breakfast tomorrow. So first off, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface it with that because this contract is shocking. Not shocking in the way that I didn't expect the Padres to do something like this, but Fernando Tatis is 22 years old. He could have signed a four or five year contract and then signed a max, what, 10 year contract, and he would have been under deal for what, until he's like 38 or 39. But it seems like Fernando Tatis does not care. He loves San Diego. He loves what they're building there. And he should be excited because of course the the signings that the Padres have uh, have picked up and acquired uh, during this off season. 14 years, $340 million. Nick, that's the third highest contract in, in total money ever behind Mike Trout and Mookie Betts, and he's younger than them. And I think he deserves it because he's batting over 300 in his career. And this dude has played almost, uh, if you look at you know his full season total, he's played about 143 games. That's under one season, but he's still batting over 300. So I think I would take that clip in any given season. 14 years, 340, he deserves it. Being from San Diego, I'm excited, and he should be excited too because I think he's going to be looking at some nice property there in San Diego. <laughs> you know a little bit about that, Cam, driving around the area. <laughs> you see, I know you're trying to look out for Fernando Tatis. The thi- that, that's what is really crazy. He's played less than a full season in a span of two years. Yeah. He's, hit, he's hitting over 300, 39 home runs over those two seasons combined. The kid's only 22. The one thing that worries me, and I want to ask you what you think about this, you look at some of these guys that signed these massive deals for 10-plus years. Give a guy like Giancarlo Stanton with the Miami Marlins. That didn't really work out. Do you worry that maybe sometime during this contract he might want to switch up teams get a new feel of things i don't think he'll want to switch up teams if he wanted to at all he had all the leverage in this situation remember this is a contract extension he didn't need to sign a 10 plus year contract he wanted to that shows the dedication he has to this padres organization you can tell that they want him to be the face of his uh, face of uh, this franchise and he wants to be there's a lot of guys where you're not sure i mean john carlos stanton that's a good example I don't think everyone expected him to be on the Marlins, a team that is so lackluster for, what, the next 10, 11 years. That's why he left. He wanted success. But, but Tatis is in a great situation. He's, in a great, he's with a great group. They have potential. 
And Fernando Tatis, I'm not worried about him uh, falling off in the next couple of years because his prime, he'll hit that when he's five years in his contract. Fernando Tatis is transcendent at the shortstop position. He's quintessential in the Padres' success going forward. This is a great deal for Tatis, a great deal for the Padres because every single team needs a face of the franchise. That's the reality of things. Every single team needs it. And the Padres now have it, especially in a loaded division like the NL West. You mentioned that loaded division. The other team's the Dodgers, who just won the World Series this past season. Taking a look at the next decade, each team's got their superstars locked in for 10-plus years. Do you think the Padres or the Dodgers will win more World Series over the next 10 years? Well, before I, uh, before I give my answer, I just want to say I apologize to all you White Sox fans because you traded Tatis for James, for James, for James Shields yeah. back in 2017 <laughs> or 2016. I'm going to give you something. James Shields, since he's been on that uh, White Sox team's team, 16 and 35 with a plus five ERA, and he doesn't even play on the team anymore. Now we'll get back to what's happening here. Dodgers, Padres in the next decade. As much as I want to say the Padres, because they're electric, they have so much potential. They are on the come up. I do believe that. I'm going with the Dodgers only because this team has experience. The Padres don't. They have a lot of young guys. They have a lot of guys that, uh, of course, you have Eric Hosmer. I mean, Manny Machado played most of his you know, career in Baltimore, and they did nothing. So I'm going with the Dodgers on the experience side, as well as I think the Padres window is only in the next three years. I don't know what they're going to do with you, Darvish. Don't know what they're going to do with Blake Snell. I know what everyone wants them to do, and that's resign them. But when your infield consists of a guy that you know is under lock for 10 years, Hosmer, you signed him for eight years. Hassan Kim's there for four. Now Tatis is there for 14. I don't know how the money's going to work out. I think the Padres' window of opportunities the next three years, but for the Dodgers, it's all about longevity. And I think that their window could be open for the next 10 to 15 years because of how much talent they get out of their farm system. I'm going with the Dodgers. As much as I want to say the Padres, this Dodgers team is just way too good. Cam, you're my you're my Padre analyst, so I will agree with you on everything you said. I do think it's the Dodgers. They just have more talent overall. They have the experience. They've been playing in the World Series. Only won one in probably the last 30 years. Every time they're in it, they, just, <laughs> they don't know how to win in the Yeah, hey, But they get there. They get there. I guess that's what matters, <laughs> but they don't have a ring to, say, to show anything. So other than that, I think the Dodgers do win more World Series over the 10 the next 10 years, obviously, the Mets are going to be some tough competition in the National League, you know, Francisco Lindor, but that's, that, that's a story for another day. <laughs> Anyways, let's transition from the MLB to the NFL. Some breaking news from today. Carson Wentz, who has arguably been in trade talks for the last two weeks, <laughs> uh, that, 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 that's been going on for a while now. He's finally traded to the Indianapolis Colts for a futures third round and a conditional pick if he plays 75% of his snaps. But looking at the past few years, he can't stay in the field for more than seven <laughs> games. Cam, you thought Carson Wentz would be traded to the Colts. Now it's happened. Do you think the Colts are a legitimate contender in the AFC? Yes, they are. I mean, they were a legitimate contender last season. I think everyone looks at last season and said it was the Titans division. Uh, the Colts, they didn't really do much. People forget the Colts had a 10-win season. People also forget it took a Week 17 win 
for the Titans to win the division. I mean, this Colts team is really good, and they had Phillip Rivers under helm, and this is no knock on Phillip Rivers, but he was getting up there in age, and he still was able to throw over 4,000 yards in the air. I mean, Jonathan Taylor had the third most rushing, rushing yards in the entire NFL. I mean, Derrick Henry was, of course, above and beyond everyone else, so when you look at that uh, that area with guys that you know have mediocre seasons or above average seasons, I mean, uh, Jonathan Taylor was at the top of that. This Colts team is a serious contender, and now they become a serious Super Bowl contender. You might think that's crazy, but the only team that I'm really confident about getting to the AFC Championship are the Buffalo Bills. I'm not sure about the Tennessee Titans. The Kansas City Chiefs, I think the Kansas City Chiefs are a really good team, but if you watch them in the past two playoffs, I completely understand. They made it to both Super Bowls, but they didn't get there with ease. The only game they won handily was that Buffalo Bills game when they crushed the Buffalo Bills in the AFC Championship. The AFC is wide open in my opinion, even with the Bills because I haven't seen a lot of them. And now with Carson Wentz, are you kidding me? They have Carson Wentz, a guy that was the second overall pick. He should have been the MVP three years ago if he didn't have that horrific injury to then propel Nick Foles into that position to make a lot of money in a, different, in a lot of different places. Carson Wentz is getting weapons downfield, which he hasn't had for the past three years. One thing that might hurt Carson Wentz is he doesn't have a great tight end, but guess what? He can develop Jack Doyle. He can develop Trey Burton. Because this system was run with Eric Ebron in Indianapolis at the tight end position for such a long time, and now they don't have him, but Carson Wentz can utilize who they have at the tight end position. He has guys out of the backfield. He has guys in the slot like Michael Pittman Jr., guys in the flat. Carson Wentz has a plethora of options to throw the ball to, and I think this prolongs his career tenfold. I love Carson Wentz and Indy. I'm surprised you only mentioned the Bills as the biggest threat in the AFC. <laughs> I think the Chiefs are going to come back even hungrier after losing by a lot to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. When I look at this Colts team now, Carson Wentz, he should be very happy and he also should be staying healthy because you look at him last season with Philadelphia, he was sacked 50 times. That's 5-0. The Colts gave up a total of 19 sacks to the entire season with a guy like Philip Rivers. No offense, Cam. I know you're a longtime Chargers fan. Philip Rivers is not the scrambling type. He's not a scrambling quarterback. He kind of stays in the pocket, looks for his receivers to get open. He throws the ball. You, you don't see him roll out in the pocket like Patrick Mahomes and throw it almost horizontal to the ground. <laughs> so he's going to have a lot more protection with his O-line and looking at his weapons. You, you mentioned it. Jack Doyle isn't the greatest tight end, but he can work around that. He can make him a strong tight end. T.Y. Hilton, he's definitely going to have a bounce back season. The last quarter of the season, he was starting to pick things up, go back to the usual T.Y. Hilton we are used to. And Michael Pittman Jr., he really stepped up because we saw Hilton take that almost that back step and really not doing much too much too much this season. Michael Pittman stepped up and took a big role as the number one wide receiver. He'll probably be number two to T.Y. Hillen this year, but both of them are very strong threats on the outside. Jonathan Taylor, a strong rookie season at the running back position. So the Colts, they could be a serious threat. I don't think the Titans are going to have as well of a season as they have the past couple of years. I think the Colts might overtake the AFC South, but it'll just be beating the Chiefs, beating the Bills. Those are the two biggest threats but they could make some noise in the next couple of years if Carson Wentz stays healthy. Transitioning to another quarterback on the trade market, Deshaun Watson. He thinks he's on the trade market. The team, not so much. They let go of J.J. Watt last week, and now the Texans, 
I don't know where the answer is, what direction they're supposed to go. So Cam, if the Texans do decide to trade Deshaun Watson, what's the best spot for the star quarterback? I mean, they're going to have to decide to trade him because he wants out of there. It might turn into a situation where he just doesn't want to play anymore and he'll just be sidelined. And then the Houston Texans are going to run into this carousel of, awful quarterbacks why not bring Brock Osweiler back so I mean Deshaun Watson can go anywhere he makes every team better I mean more than 20 teams in the NFL should be calling up the Texans and asking hey what's the situation on Deshaun Watson I think he should go to the Washington football team the one caveat in this situation is not Taylor Heineke and how great he played in the postseason. It's not Alex Smith and how this comeback story is taking over the entirety of the NFL. It's the fact that I don't know who they have to trade for him. I don't know who the Houston Texans want for Deshaun Watson because right now they don't want anything. They just want Deshaun Watson. But Watson doesn't want to be there. Deshaun Watson had a wasted statistical season just a year ago. 4,800 yards, 33 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, and his team won 4 games. This is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He made Brandon Cooks look like an 1,000-plus yard receiver every single year. Cooks has been washed up ever since his Rams days, ever since he lost back-to-back Super Bowls with the Rams and then the Patriots. Deshaun Watson can go anywhere, make any team better, but the reason why the Washington football team is a perfect fit for him, they have swagger. They have a culture there. That's a great fit for a guy like Deshaun Watson, who's still young, He's still edging into his prime. He's a guy that can bring energy to Washington. Maybe also bring a name to Washington at this point. Are you kidding me? Uh, But they have one of the best front sevens defensively in the NFL. You might not think that's important because Watson's on the offensive side. But when Watson was at his best, when he could take chances, is when he had guys like Jadavion Clowney and J.J. Watt on the defensive side. So he didn't have to worry about putting up 45 points a game. Washington has one of the best front sevens in the NFL, like I previously mentioned. Antonio Gibson is great in the backfield. That can relieve a lot of pressure off of Deshaun Watson. J.D. McKissick can be an awesome screenplay guy because Deshaun Watson can escape the pocket with ease. Terry McLaurin, he's one of the best wide receivers in all of the NFL. Had over 1,100 yards a season ago. It's a perfect fit for Deshaun Watson. I think the only issue is, what can the Washington football team offer? I, I really like that pick. Washington obviously made the playoffs this year, won the NFC least. But this is a team that you add to Sean Watson, they could be a serious threat. It's just that's that issue. What do they give up? For me, I have a bias and then I have a non-bias huh. pick. You know, the, the bias pick is the Denver Broncos. It's a good pick, though. It, it is a good pick. It's been getting some praise over the last couple of days. You look at a team like the Broncos. They have the ninth pick in this year's draft. You give up that. You give up a couple future first-round picks. You give up one of your three wide receivers in Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, or Cortland Sutton, who missed last season with a torn ACL. You give up one of those, I'm okay with having two of those guys remaining on the roster. You keep Noah Fant. You have the running back duo in Gordon and Phillip Lindsay. And then you might have to give up a defensive player. Don't know who that could be. Maybe even a Bradley Chubb type of guy. You lose that, but you get Von Miller back, who missed all of last season. The Broncos, if they can get to Sean Watson, obviously they don't win the division because they're playing with Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. But this is a team that could easily make a wild card. Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson makes them a 7-8 win team. But if they play to their full potential, this is a team that could put up double-digit wins possibly. 
Now, my non-biased pick is the San Francisco 49ers. This is a team that made the Super Bowl two years ago with Jimmy G, but since then have just been plagued with injuries over and over and over again. It seemed like last year they just hated MetLife Stadium, that turf, something with injuries. I, I don't know. I've never gotten the chance to do that. I've only <laughs> been able to run the 40-yard dash on there once, other than I've never played a full game of football on that MetLife turf. But you look at the 49ers. They have a strong backfield. You got some weapons. You obviously have one of the best tight ends, one healthy, George Kittle. And that defense, a top five defense in the NFL led by Nick Bosa, who was hurt. You could guess it. Kittle was hurt. Jimmy G was hurt. But Jimmy G, he I don't think he can stay healthy. And if you want to make another Super Bowl run in a tough NFC West division, you can put Deshaun Watson in there. And I think he really makes a difference because you already got a division with Kyler Murray. You got Russell Wilson. Who am I missing, Cam? Who's the last NFC West team that I'm thinking of? You got the Seahawks, you got the Cardinals, you got the 49ers. You're killing me. The uh, oof. They, they've got a good. They've got a good oh, quarterback. No. Whoever it is, whoever oh, it is. No. I, this is bad. This is bad. I'm going to plug on this. I, this is bad. We'll, this is bad. We'll get it. We'll, our brains will come back to us uh, uh, as as during, the show goes during on. our Syracuse segment. Oh, I'll bring up geez. an NFC West team. But the Broncos is my pick. I think they would be a perfect fit for the for Deshaun Watson. But if I Want to keep Drew Locke? Oh, wow, the Rams. The 49ers. The Rams. The Rams. The Rams, the Rams who just got Matthew Stafford. Right. They are supposed to be Super Bowl contenders. I have mixed feelings about that. They just gave up 50 pick first-round picks for a man in Matthew Stafford who has not won a playoff game in his entire career. We'll see what happens there. Anyways, going from the NFL to the association, our favorite sports over here, basketball. The NBA All-Star Game is happening March 7th, and it's not just an All-Star Weekend. It's an all-star day. You've got the three-point contest, the skills challenge happening before the all-star game. You got the all-star game, the dunk contest thrown in there at halftime, and then you finish up the all-star game. Mind you, they're doing the same format as last year, the 24 points in the fourth quarter, remembering Kobe Bryant. Cam, you have some mixed feelings about playing the all-star game this year. What are those? Hey, remembering Kobe Bryant, that's probably one of my most favorite things that that any that the NBA can do as a whole. And I love that they do that during the all-star game. I love how they they continue to integrate it. It's not just a one-year thing. But really, this is a buffet I do not want to be a part of. This is one day with everything going on. What makes the dunk contest so good is not the people in it, because unfortunately for the past couple of years since Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine put on a show, it's been awful with no names. There's no fans, right? Are there fans? Not, not that I'm aware I mean, of. And then before the game, what? You're going to have the skills contest with, with fake sound? Oh, that's going to be thrilling. I, love, <laughs> I would love to see a guy that I've never heard of on the Atlanta Hawks throw a pass into a, to an open circle with no cheers. I mean, it's ridiculous. The fact that they're then bunching it up into a day. So I can, what, I'm, I'm going to turn on my TV and, and sit there for four hours watching guys uh, playing a game and playing contests that they don't even want to be a part of because a lot of players have voiced that they're not really interested in, in this game. It shouldn't happen. This whole weekend shouldn't happen. Unfortunately, with the circumstances, it, it's cutting out a lot of what makes the All-Star game and the All-Star festivities really important and what makes it fun to watch and what makes it a good time, even if it's Glenn Robinson III winning the dunk contest. What makes it fun is the pageantry, the fans, and the festivities as a whole, even if you're watching from home. Also, this game just, it's almost putting this season in jeopardy. What happens if guys, you know, from all of the teams travel and then some of them get COVID cases and then they fly back? Or if they don't, 
what, they're playing in a game that does not matter for any of their records? And what if they get COVID? Then they have to quarantine for two weeks and not play with their respective teams on the second or on the back end of the season after the All-Star break. This is just asking for trouble. I agree with what LeBron James said. I mean, he's going to be there. Will he be happy to play it? No. And if guys aren't happy to play it, guys aren't happy to be a part of these festivities, and then you're bunching it up into a day, I mean, you're forcing it. This is called forcing All-Star festivities. That's not what All-Star festivities are about. You're, you're putting the players at jeopardy like you mentioned, Cam, and these aren't just players, these are the superstars of their respective teams. This can affect how a team is for the rest of their season. Say you got a guy like Jokic, the first guy that comes to my mind, he catches COVID, the Nuggets who are trying to kind of build some momentum and crawl back in the Western Conference, they could drop back down. Jokic is arguably the anchor that holds down this entire team. He is the biggest part of this Nuggets team. You look at a guy like the Lakers, LeBron James, say he gets COVID. You've already got Anthony Davis, who is out, who should be out longer than two to three weeks. LeBron gets hurt. You're stuck with Alex Caruso as your star player. And Nick, I, I don't want to interrupt, but besides, you know, their effect on or their the the effect on their team not having them, also health reasons. These guys want to play, be with their families. Give them a four or five day break. They deserve it. They're playing in a in an atmosphere where they really can't even do anything or have fun or interact with fans or be a part of a community. Give them time with their families. They deserve it. I, I, I absolutely agree. You you nailed everything on the coffin, Cam. Um, that's basically all my thoughts. Adam Silver said that the All-Star game is for the fans, but when it's really just family and maybe a few friends that are at the games, it's really not the same. The dunk contest, I don't get how you can have that energy when you miss a windmill dunk trying to do something spectacular and then just to have the audio playing to pump you up again instead of the fans screaming Shaq with his little head handhold <laughs> camera. It's not the same thing. It's really disappointing that the NBA All-Star Game is happening. Give the guys a week off. Let them recuperate before going into the second half of the season. And the schedule's not even out yet for the second half of the season. They're worried about the All-Star Game more than the rest of the NBA season because so far, while some teams have had more games off than others, the season's making its progress. It's going in the right direction, and it looks like it'll finish by the time that July hits. I'll, I'll knock on some wood just to make sure <laughs> everything happens. Now, tonight, a big matchup between the Lakers and the Nets. Obviously, Cam and I are both Lakers fans. And the Nets, who have only played like one or two games with their big three, tonight is another one without them. Kevin Durant out, but Anthony Davis also out for the Lakers. Cam, looking at this matchup, who is the most important player for both the Nets and the Lakers tonight? Well, with KD out, with AD out, and with the, you know, the spotlight on not just LeBron, but then that Kyrie and, and James Harden duo, I think it has to be on, on, on secondary, uh, ancillary guys that you're looking at, and you're like, okay, what if they have a good game? That could propel you in the playoffs. That, that could uh, dismiss a bad game from one of the stars uh, come playoff time. I think it's Kyle Kuzma. I think it's Joe Harris. Those are two 3 and D guys that can catch fire. Joe Harris, I mean, three teams in the entire association this entire season have kept Joe Harris under 10 points. This is a guy that religiously shoots over 40% from the three-point line. And then Kyle Kuzma, if he can play well, this Lakers team is near unstoppable. This is a guy that doesn't start but comes off the bench. And if him and Montrez Harrell 
can, what, both score 20 a game alongside what AD and LeBron put up, there's less pressure on the two superstars. I think it has to go to Kyle Kuzma. It has to go to Joe Harris because we know how good these superstars are. We know AD, we know LeBron, we know the three-headed monster in Brooklyn. But what about these guys that will complement them? Because we all know uh, what happened with the Heat a season ago was not a one-man wrecking crew. Of course, uh, uh, Jimmy Butler played unbelievable. But Goran Dragic, before the finals, because he was injured, was great as well. Tyler Hero played amazing. Duncan Robinson couldn't miss if it was a needle in a haystack that he was trying to hit with the basketball. The Heat proved that you need complementary options. Even the Lakers proved that. Alex Caruso was a, was a star in Game 6 in the NBA Finals. So I think it has to go to the complementary options. Give me Joe Harris. Give me Kyle Kuzma. For me, when I look at the Brooklyn Nets, a guy that can, needs to have a big game for this team to win is DeAndre Jordan because Anthony Davis is out tonight. I mean, where else is, do the Lakers get size? Montrez Harrell is really your backup center, but the guy's at 6'7". DeAndre Jordan stands at 7 foot. He's, he can dominate in the paint. And then you're thinking, oh, Nick, you forgot about Marcus Gasol. I didn't say Marcus Gasol for a reason. Marcus Gasol <laughs> averages maybe negative two points per game. Negative three blocks per game. <laughs> I'll give him a rebound. He gets a rebound per game, but that's about it. Marcus 40, 40 steps per game. <laughs> Marcus Gasol does absolutely nothing except stand at the top of the key and shoot three-pointers when he has about 20 feet of space on the floor. If DeAndre Jordan can absolutely dominate in the paint, I don't see a Laker that can really stop him defensively. When I look at the Lakers, they need to play defense as a whole. This Nets team is very strong offensively. You're going to have Kyrie out there. You're going to have James Harden. Those two are definitely playing. And you talked about it, Cam. Joe Harris, they have guys that can score the ball. If you look at the guy, you look at a backcourt like Alex Crusoe and Taylor Horton Tucker, their minutes have kind of been inconsistent. There are games where they're out there a ton, but there's also games where they barely see the floor. If those two are together, they're strong on the defensive side of the floor. Crusoe is the best defensive player on this Lakers team. If you have them out there stopping Kyrie Irving, James Harden, if they can contain them not to not have giant games, I can see the Lakers getting a big win in this one. This is a brand new segment that I am excited for, and Cam is arguably the perfect guy to have this for. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm going to show you a few plays. I looked at this, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Why would you do that? Let's get right into the tape, ladies and gentlemen, taking a look here. Starting off with the king himself, LeBron. I don't know what LeBron's going to do here. LeBron. Oh! Yeah, it turned into a Harlem Globetrotter. Did he shoot that one from Eastern Europe? I have no clue what he's doing. I think he tried to shoot it uh, from L.A. to Minnesota, but forgot he was in Minnesota. I don't understand. He's trying to be all relaxed. All relaxed, LeBron. Are, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, LeBron? Take a look at this one now for a quick sec. The man himself. Dylan Brooks gets blocked, and J.J. Redick, oh, what you doing, J.J.? <laughs> I don't understand this. J.J. Well, Redick tried to turn into a ballerina, tiptoed his way, and passed it to the other player. Come on, are you kidding me? He, he, he said, I'm tiptoeing in my Jordan. <laughs> J.J. Redick, what you doing, bro? Are you kidding me? Now this next one here, USC, you, you know a little bit about California, Cam. Oh, wow. That, that one did not go well. Was he trying to dunk that one over a great wall? What blocked him there? Casper the Friendly Ghost? Are you kidding me, USC? That, that's Chavez Goodwin. The boy looks 8'5", but he clearly can't dunk. Are you kidding me? Cam, I got one more for you. Please. We, we step away from the courts here. Um, yeah, just 
analyze this a little bit. Take a look here. Just, just some oh, wow, bowling. we're going to the bowling alley for this one. Oh, are you kidding me? You're not supposed to roll with the ball. <laughs> wow, she threw that one 100 miles per hour. Cam, I'm impressed, though, because that looked like a strike to me, too. I think she knocked out all the pins somehow. Are you kidding me, lady? Are you kidding was me? She, was she a roll this Chapman on that one? I don't know. I don't know. We just showed you a few fails. Now let's get into some top plays. The top five plays of the week. Let's get it going. At number five, you don't see many Knicks on these top plays, but Nerlens Noel, take me for a ride, big fella. He throws it down on Mr. John Collins. He says, give me that, I'll throw it down, Mr. Nerlens Noel. At number four, it's all New Orleans in this one, but John Morant says, we're playing in Memphis. Let me slam it home. Who cares about the score? How about a highlight reel dunk in the fourth? The former Murray State racer racing to the rim, cocks it back, slams it home, and watch the number one pick's reaction to the number two pick's dunk, Zion Williamson. Yeah, they used to play together. At number three, we're taking some ankles here. Kevin Herter says, whoop, he says, bye, Mr. Doug McDermott, finishes the layup. Ooh, McDermott needs to look for his ankles. He got left, he went right. I don't know which way he's going. Mr. Herter, he says, give me that. Takes it across over and finishes the lay-in. At number two, we've been spending a lot of time in the pro ranks, but how about some college basketball? UConn, Providence, I just watched a man fly. James Book Knight, well worthy to be on this list. He came out of nowhere, sucked the air out of the building. Wow, James Book Knight, no mercy for the rim. And at number one, for the number one, pick in this year's past draft. Anthony Edwards drives by Brogdon and slams in the vicious dunk. Howl at me harder, Anthony Edwards. He had the number one play, the Pacers. They won 134 to 128. That'll conclude today's episode of the Knicks Elias Show. Make sure you stay tuned every week, a new upload day, Friday every single week. Expect me and a special co-host. Today was a fantastic Cameron Ezair. Don't 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 get too sad. You will see this man here again. He lives he lives just a couple feet away. I can grab him, throw him a nice shirt on him, get him in front of a camera, and he'll do the show with me. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe, make sure you like, make sure you comment down below. Have a great night.